Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham. Scott is alongside, as always. Hello, Scott. Sean, I'm here. Yeah, you are. It's well, not uh, actually here. We're not sitting together. No, you're right. You're right. But uh, we made it. It's uh, almost the end of the year. It is. And uh, what a year it's been, Scott. Uh, 2019. The ups, the downs, and and the downs. It's uh, it's been a year. I uh. I did every year. My my buddy Aaron and I we do a year in review. A hundred years later, uh, as we're both historians, you know the, the year in review columns always kind of uh, are, are weird, right? Because you don't really know what the most important thing of the year was. So we do a hundred years later, and this year, of course, we did 1919. We do like a March Madness style bracket, and we play things off against each other to determine what the most important event was. And this year was my turn to write the intro to it. Oh. And uh, I was just thinking about all the ways this year that turning on the news was super depressing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, bad things, or at least negative news, at least hit us this year. Yeah, not uh, not the most fun, but I think better than 2017, where where that was the year everybody seemed to die. Yeah, and, everyone uh, was dead. Yeah, all that jazz, but. Uh, I, I've been meaning to check out your your column. I do quite like the use of GIFs uh, yes. between the two of you. So where can people go check it out? So check it out, activehistory.ca. It's still the top story on the page. We published it on Friday, December the 20th. It's the year in review, question mark, uh, annual year in review, question mark, 100 years later. Uh, so just activehistory.ca. It'll be... When you go look at it, if you're looking at this around the time we're dropping it, still the first or second story up there, so you can find it. Or just Google Year in Review 100 Years Later, and it should come up for you. Uh, so yeah, check that out, Aaron and I. And we do it every year, so you can look at our ones in the past. And it, it's fun to see what happened in each year. And i got to say, Scott, 1919 was loaded. Yeah, big time. I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking of Paris right away. Yep. Uh, I'm thinking uh, of... Some ship? I can't remember. <laughs> well, so the thing, so we, we, we don't include any World War One stuff because the website covers it well enough, and we didn't want five years in a row of World War One stuff to win. Yeah. And we, anything that has won in the past can't win again. So suffrage in Denmark, for instance, won in 2015 for 1915. So future suffrage things uh, are not included. Okay. So as to not have repeat winners. So even with that, when we take those two major things out, still a loaded year. So do uh, head over to activehistory.ca, check that out. Uh, but for as much as, Scott, I just said that year in review things can be tough in the moment, we're going to try it for curling. We are going to try it for curling. And yes. we're, we're going to try to balance the scales, give uh, as many positives as negatives for the year so like best and worst kind of of the year of curling yeah so we've each come up with five things that we have identified as our best and our worst in the year of curling in 2019 the year that was and uh, we'll just go through our list 
respectively here, and uh, we'll see where we over. We haven't checked each other's list, so we'll see where we overlap here. And I'm curious mm-hmm. to see what you got, Scott, because I'm excited about my two lists. Okay, great. Uh, well, why don't why don't I start? Okay, and I'll start with a good a good thing. Yep. Uh, and my first good thing is going to be the announcement made a couple weeks ago about pay equity in the mm-hmm. sport between the men's side and the women's side. Of course, there was some controversy after the World Championships last year where it came out that the Scotties winner only won $32,000 compared to the men's winner who took 70000 or 75000 Yeah. Uh, so they announced this year that uh, they fixed it. They're going to pay everybody the same, and it's a pay raise for both of them. I believe the winners will get $110,000 this year. So it's the right move for the sport. Good job by Curling Canada to recognize that deficiency and fix it as quickly as they did. Yes. So very good news. Number one good story for, for me. Yeah, I, I like that. Uh, I actually didn't have that on my list. I forgot about it. Oh. Um, yeah, so yeah, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, a, a major step forward for Curling. And something, too, that you know when they announced it, Obviously, there was a lot of of good press and people were excited about it. But I also thought too about people like, you know, Colleen Jones, for instance, mm-hmm. who's been around the sport forever and someone who has just constantly pushed and pushed and pushed and sort of the the coming to fruition of all those efforts for those people and you know the 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 women who are coming forward now and the top players will certainly benefit from it. But we can't forget the decades of work. Uh, of people like that that have gone into to this sort of uh, or to this announcement. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And we, we talk a lot on this show about you know almost preferring the women's game at times. Uh, uh, so yeah, there's no reason that it should have been different. And going forward, it won't be. At least here in Canada, we don't know about the worlds, but hopefully the WCF follows suit. Yes. Uh, definitely. So that's a good one to, to start on, Scott. So I'll go with one from my best list. And uh, I, so I've ranked mine here. So my number five best thing of the year, uh, I put the Losers episode featuring Pat Ryan. Hmm. The uh, the Netflix show that came out in March. Uh, it's about people and individuals in sports who have lost a lot but have gained a lot out of the the losing experience and there's a it's a great episode featuring pat ryan and his team and just all the losses that they suffered over and over again uh, a lot of cool things came out of that uh, including randy furby talking about how they weren't allowed to bring wives uh wives and girlfriends mm-hmm. not wives or girlfriends wives and girlfriends <laughs> just a, a fun little slip of the tongue there but that was a great episode the whole show I thought was really well produced, but it was, it was kind of fun to see curling being presented in a format that you don't often see. You don't see those type of documentary things devoted to curling. And it was produced clearly by people who, who didn't have an intimate knowledge of the sport, which I kind of liked, brought a, a fresh perspective to it. So I, I really liked that. And that was, I, to me, a real high point uh, or, or one of the best things that we saw in the world of curling in 2019. Yeah, that's that's a good one, Sean. I I also didn't have that on my list because I don't have Netflix, so uh, I haven't watched it. But if we're, we're going to be visiting our parents, perhaps we uh, perhaps we can watch that as a as a family. Ah, yeah. cute. Yeah. All right. So uh, why don't we shift over to our worst list now, Scott? What, what's your what's one of your from the worst? All right. The uh, number one on my list. This is just in order of how I thought of them. 
was uh, the treatment of Team Kerry as they represented Team Canada at the Women's World Championships. Uh, a lot of nasty online sniping uh, jokes yep. made. Uh, these these women are one of the best teams in the world. They obviously weren't trying to lose. No, they didn't play well, but it doesn't mean you can attack them personally on social media. And I was really disappointed by the the Twitter curling world uh, during that uh, that event there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. We talked about it at the time that you can be disappointed with the, the play, and you can be, you know, upset. And even yeah, I'm not even angry if you want to be critical and say, you know, oh, like the outturn draw mm-hmm. isn't there, and like you're not they're not, they're not playing well. But when it goes beyond that into saying that they don't care that they're terrible people like yeah that's when it goes too far and uh, certainly uncalled for and uh, i think what was uh, if i could take a positive out of that situation was not only was chelsea carry and, and that team really uh, sort of resilient and, and upfront about dealing with that situation all the athletes all the athletes uh were upfront about it yeah. as well and trying to cut it off so you know there was a, a great and a lot of the fans too, actually. So you know, the the good of the curling community sort of rallied behind them in that moment. So there was, you know, you, you hate to see it, of course, and you don't want it to have to happen where people have to rally behind the team in that type of situation. But uh, you know, a, a glimmer of hope came out of it. Yeah, a little bit uh, anyway. But uh, yeah, I was just disappointed, and they did play poorly. I, I think we talked about it. That yeah, yeah no, they weren't playing mm-hmm. well, but. Uh, yeah, for people who don't like, I think it was a lot of casuals too that came in and were like, "Oh man, right. I can't believe Canada's not winning. We must be losers." But, but you know, yeah. uh, we're better than that. So, hopefully, going for forward, sure. we can uh, avoid that kind of situation. Yes. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good one. That was not on my list wow. either. Uh, so yeah. So uh, my number five of the worst of the year was the World Cup goes away, just like a. You know, just a, a meteor flying across the sky. It came, came and it went. Did burn too yes, bright? Yes, yes, did burn too bright. So yeah, so it, it's not just that the World Cup went away. It's sort of the circumstances behind how it went away, the conflict between the organizers and the people who were funding it from China and the World Curling Federation, and the accusations back and forth of not fulfilling the contract and, and sort of the. A lot of dirty laundry got put mm-hmm. out there, and you know, given the circumstances of who was funding it and the media reality of China, you know, it's hard to really determine exactly what is factual and what isn't in this in this case. Either way, it's a bad look for the sport that this the the group that was in China that was putting this together and the World Curling Federation couldn't come to some sort of agreement and and make this thing work after it was so heavily promoted last year. So the fact that we only got one year of it, you know, feels very XFL-ish and not the greatest look for the sport. So something that you know, I think by the end of the year fans were starting to sort of kind of at least be piqued by it. Mm-hmm. And then it just goes away. So that, you know, it's just not a great look. Yeah, not a, not a great look. And I think the clues were there, Sean, when when Team Jennifer Jones and Brad Jacobs, or Brad Gushy rather, de- decided they weren't going. And that was early yeah. enough in the season that they announced they weren't going to do it. 
ahead of that uh, event in in Sweden. So, you know, I guess if our spidey senses had been up, uh, we we might have been able to foresee this a little better. And looking back now, it's it's much easier to see uh, that it's going away. But, uh, you know, like you say, uh, sometimes you got to try something and hopefully this will serve as a springboard for some other kind of international event because there were some interesting aspects to it. Uh, bringing all three disciplines together was pretty cool uh, and giving us something else to watch on YouTube. I mean, I know we complained a little bit about <laughs> there was too much curling, yeah. but, uh, yeah, you know, it gave us a peek at some some teams that we don't always get to see on international stage. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so we'll see what comes moving forward of that. Now let's jump back, Scott, to our yeah, best. Yeah, so list. I'm going to build off your World Cup going away as being bad. I'm going to say uh, it was good for Canada. Canada uh, won the Curling World Cup. They won yep. uh, men's sure. and women's <laughs> for sure. I can't remember mixed doubles. But I think they either won or finished second. So, you know, good good results for Team Canada. And it's sort of, in a year after the Olympics brought a lot of debate in Canada about, oh, our, our country's not deep enough, we're, we're falling behind uh, the, the other nations of the world. It was nice to show that Canada can field three different teams at this event, and it ended up being four different teams for the women because Jennifer Jones' team went and played in that grand final, that mm-hmm. he, we can throw out, you know, team four, five, six, and they can still be competitive with the best teams from the other countries. So, you know, for Canadian curling, it's it sort of served as a way to rebound from that 2018 disappointment uh, and to, to give the nation as a whole a little more swagger in the international curling world. Yeah, I think you see it with a team like Matt Dunstone, right? That they go, they win mm-hmm. their event that they participated in. And, and yeah, it's sort of a validation of them. And you saw it early this season. Now they struggled the last couple of events, but, you know, winning that Grand Slam in North Bay, you know, I, I, I hate to draw too much of a straight line between, between those two things, but it never hurts. Yeah, no, exactly. It never, it never hurts. And uh, it, it was a good showcase as I just mentioned, but uh, sad to see it go. So going away is the bad. Canada doing well is is the good. And I'll throw yes. in, along with Canada doing well, uh, John Epping winning at home in the U.S. leg. I thought that was pretty cool. Or John Schuster. Either. Oh, that's who I mean. I haven't had a lot of sleep lately, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so my number four that that I've ranked here, I just put Eve Muirhead. I think Eve Muirhead had a good uh-huh. year. Uh, everything that Eve Muirhead did this year I thought was really good. Uh, she's healthy, so that's mm-hmm. a win right there. She She's getting better. Uh, I think she did a great job at the Continental Cup. She had the shot to win for the world team there at the Continental Cup. And I, I think to the way in which she and her team responded to the controversy leading into the women's world championship, they lost to Sophie Jackson and they were, the the Federation wanted to give them the spot and they declined it. And the way they dealt with what was a potentially uh, thorny situation, I thought was perfect. And the statements they put out were perfect. 
the way they just dealt with that whole thing was you, you couldn't have done it any better. So for Eve Muirhead and her team, her health, having a, a nice moment there at the Continental Cup, playing pretty well overall, and then just dealing with a thorny situation in an absolutely perfect way. I think it was a great year for Eve Muirhead. So I put Eve Muirhead as number four on my best list in the 2019 currently right on right on that yeah it is it was a good year for for you overall in the in the sense that she looks to be on the upswing now yeah Uh, and i i picked her to win the last um grand slam event and they had a really good round robin went three and one lost out in in the quarterfinals to jennifer jones had a bit of a rough game there but overall they look they're looking good they're looking a lot better uh, I like the way that the positions are now with Lauren Gray at third, I think really helps Eve. And uh, they're a big threat going into Worlds for sure. All right, so let's hop back then to the negative side, Scott. What's your next one? Well, the next one I have is a little bit sad, and I think uh, we all kind of know where I'm going, and that's uh, the unfortunate passing of, of Allie Jenkins uh, in childbirth. It, it really sent a... Uh, sort of a, a shockwave across the curling world to think that something so terrible could happen to somebody so young and, and promising and such a great competitor and respected by all of her uh, fellow players. So not much more to say about it other than just a really tragic situation and, and uh, a, a definitely a low spot uh, on the curling calendar. Yeah, for sure. So I, I've ranked mine and that was my number one yeah. worst. Yeah. thing of the year uh was was the Allie jenkins uh passing and you know in, in thinking about this more today i went back and read some of the stories and i don't know if it makes it worse or or whatever but you know you talk to the doctors or you talk to you i read in reading the, mm-hmm. the stories when they're interviewing doctors they say basically in that situation what happened to her there's no way to know that it's going to happen and like I said, there's no preventative measures that you can take as a physician, according to these interviews. And when it does happen, basically you have to get lucky in when it's being treated. Mm-hmm. Like uh, it, it's really terrifying and, and just so scary and just a stark reminder of of just, you know, how precious life is. And, you know, if there's a saving grace, I guess, is that the baby was healthy um, in that. But, yeah, just a tragic, tragic moment there uh, with Allie Jenkins and, and definitely a loss not only to curling uh, in Saskatchewan, but uh, the whole curling community around the world. Absolutely. So uh, no smooth way to transition from that, but uh, let's try. What what uh, what are you what have you got on your your list? So my number my number four uh, worst of the year was the uh, officially officializing of the smaller field at the mixed doubles world championships where not only, it's not going to be everybody gets to play now, uh, that we've seen qualifying events go on uh, for the 2020 World Championships. I think that given what the purpose of mixed doubles is supposed to be in terms of growing the game and getting participation from non-traditional curling countries, having there be this qualification process and limiting the number of teams in the World Championship. I don't like it. I think the logistics of playing mixed doubles makes it so that you could have as many teams as you want at this mm-hmm. event. And uh, I, I just hope that this doesn't hurt the growth of mixed doubles 
in some of these places. Like, you know, we've seen Israel play in this, right? We've seen Spain do quite well mm -hmm. in this. Uh, are, are those countries now, well, obviously not Spain because they're going to be in the field, but some of these countries that have been new to the sport, are they going to lose their zeal to do mm -hmm. this by having to go to a qualifying event? So that I think is a worst. I think it's a missed opportunity for the world curling federation. And I put that on my worst list. Yeah. Sean, I have that on my worst list as well. Actually is the next thing. And, uh, Devin Haro wrote an article I'm looking at right now from April 22nd and it's uh, entitled this year's mixed doubles curling championships are an experiment in trial and error. And it talks about how it's the largest field ever seeing how it goes was sort of, they, they knew that they were going to reduce the field, but trying to see how this 48-nation uh, field went uh, would be sort of a test so that maybe going forward they would think about bringing more countries. And I think the problem is that there's not enough money uh, in in a lot of these developing countries to send a team to the world championships. Now, now right. what makes it even harder now is you have to go to a qualifying event and then to the world championships if you make it. So... Now it's t two events rather than just one big one. And uh, I'm sort of with you. We did see a lot of blowouts. And I think I spoke on the podcast about not being that excited to see huge blowouts. But you're, it's kind of the price that needs to be paid, right, in, in the learning. Yeah. So hopefully the, the countries that aren't able to go to the world championships anymore are able to go to that qualifying event and still get in some good competition to uh, that's a little more at their level to be able to get better hopefully break through to the world stage and then keep keep working on getting better and better hopefully yeah so uh so yeah so that's uh, so that was on both of our worst lists let's hop back then scott to the best list all right the best list uh this one might be a little controversial sean okay uh, I have here the residency rule on my okay. best list, and here's why. I'm tired. I was tired of hearing about, <clears throat> oh, Rachel Homan's team is not really an Ontario team, or uh, oh, this th this team is not really. Nobody lives anywhere, and I think the new rule sort of put everything to bed. Uh, everybody's following the rule now. And there's no like weird exemptions that happen. So I'm a, I'm a fan of this rule. I haven't heard anybody talk about residency requirements all season, which is yep. some something of a breath of fresh air. And yeah. for me, that's why it's on my best list. Did you have it on your worst? I don't have it on either list. I... <laughs> you don't care. No, I, I think it's a good thing. I absolutely think it was a big, a, a good thing, and something that was uh, overdue. And you're right; I think it puts a lot of discussions to bed. I think that we, the idea that residency won't ever come up again is a little far fetched. You know, uh, there is going to be a point where, you know, it, you know, I, I hate to say it, but. You know, if if Kevin Cooey decides at some point to play with his brother, right, and they just or or even play with Carrie and somebody else in a in a mixed mm -hmm. in the mixed nationals, 
Um, you know, th- those sorts of things. If we get to the point where there's a four-person team and a Briar or Scotties of people who no longer live in that province or territory, that is going to be an issue for some folks. Uh, we're obviously not there yet, and it might take a long time to get there. But, you know, the fear is, especially in provinces like, uh, I think a province like Saskatchewan, where a lot of people, curlers have left, right? It's, it's well documented the number of curlers who have left Saskatchewan. And if you do get to a point where four people who live in Toronto are representing Saskatchewan, people might have a problem with that. I don't, I don't know, but, Sean. You know a lot of Saskatchewan folk and... Uh, as long as as long as they're true green, you know they bleed true green. Oh, we were born there. They'll support them, right? Yeah, as yeah, they just have to put a rider yeah. hat on. Yeah, fine. But um, but no, I, I so I, I don't think we've heard. I, I'm just saying I don't think we've heard the end of residency. But I I really like the rule. The players like the rule. Uh, Curling Canada likes the rule. There's a lot of good in the rule, and it in the the idea now that people have to lie about where they live. I like that that's gone. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think it, it can lead to some cool stuff down the road. I think it would be kind of neat to, to see Kevin and, and Jamie play together. I think it would be not good for them to do it, you know, until they're 70 years old representing, uh, you know, <laughs> Northwest Territories at the Briar. But uh, it allows talented curlers who play in areas where there's not as many players or who come from those, yeah. those areas to be able to leave, I'm thinking especially of the north, to come south and get uh, their education. Uh, we see a lot of people, they come down to go to university and don't come, don't, don't go back yeah. up. And then, you know, well, maybe they'll try to get into playdowns here and there. But if they can still wear the crest of their territory while at the same time trying to better their lives and the lives of their families uh, through education, I, I can't see it being a bad thing. No, I, I'm with you. So, yeah, I, I agree that that's one of the better things from the year. I did not have it on my list, though. Uh, one of the things that is on my list, though, Scott, Team Nigeria. Hmm. Uh, Broomzilla. They made their debut this year. Uh, I believe it was at the Mixed Doubles they made their debut. And just a lot of fun having Nigeria around yep. this yep. year. Uh, the Broomzilla Twitter account is really good. Uh, they obviously struggled a bit in terms of wins and losses. But it's it's fun to have an African team there uh, at these events, and we got the like golly wampers <laughs> moment from the uh, was it the mixed uh, the mixed worlds? I believe uh, so. Yeah, that that came from. So you know we get we get moments like that. There, there's just a fun Twitter follow, and you know of all the new countries that have joined the World Curling Federation have teams, they're the ones that. Uh, have really made a pretty big impact, I think, on, I don't know if they've reached a lot of casual fans, but certainly in the curling community, you know, people are paying attention to yeah, them. Yeah, I, I believe Golly Wampers was from the PACCs, but it, it might have been okay. it might have been mixed. I, I can't remember. But we did see Colin Hodgson on the latest Grand Slam. Yes. It, you know, appropriate that phrase. And use it for himself. Yes. And uh, g- after he was challenged on Twitter yes, to do it, yes, yes. Uh, big shout out then to Team Broomzilla. I actually just watched uh, the Lazy Handle show today, Katrina's latest video, and I think she had a Broomzilla shirt on. So it's really nice. uh, getting out there. Really good stuff. Yeah. 
So, uh, so yeah, big ups to uh, Team Nigeria. So let's hop back over, Scott, to our worst list. What's next on yours? The, the next on mine is sort of it's the growing divide within the curling world between the curling haves and the have-nots. We're seeing we're right. seeing uh, Michelle Fournier, Mike Fournier has talked about this a lot in his blog, pros versus Joes, the type yep. of idea. We're seeing curling clubs closing uh, in a lot of places here in Canada, which is obviously not good. And with the game becoming so much more stratified, it's a little bit like when we see income inequality in a nation, uh, that nation tends to not be a very fun place to live or good place to live for the majority of people. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree. This is something that you know, we've talked about on the show before, that there's no room for a middle class anymore with curling. And, and you're right. You're starting to see it filter down to the club level where the, the people who want to be a little more competitive than just a club team, there's not that much space for them anymore. And it's, it's, I agree, not good for the sport overall. There has to be a place for those teams that, you know, if you want to go spieling and play, you know, four spiels over the course of the season and, and sort of high level ish spiels, if you're going to go and get killed every game, then that's no fun and people aren't going to yeah. do it. So, you know, we, we've seen it at the club level, we've seen it with playdowns, right? A, a reduction of the number of teams who are entering playdowns mm -hmm. across the country. So, yeah, people are really getting squeezed. Yeah, so at at the point when it's trickling down to the grassroots and there's clubs closing in urban areas, it, it's it's really not a good not a good thing for the sport. And one of the things that I think curling could do better is reaching out to non-traditional communities uh, who who haven't been curlers before. I'm thinking of uh, new Canadians coming uh, to our country. Uh, it, just try to open the doors as wide as you can and get those teams in. We've seen a lot of success of LGBTQ leagues across across the country yep. to the point where there there's no more space to get into some of them. So yeah. I think by making a concerted effort to reach out to uh, people who you wouldn't generally see at the curling club, uh, I think it could be a really good thing for the sport. Yeah, I agree. And certainly, you know, programs like Rocks and Rings are trying to do yep. that uh, by going to schools uh, in, in communities that normally don't have a lot of curlers, uh, certainly urban communities just in general, uh, regardless of, you know, where the people are from or where, where people are born. Mm -hmm. uh, urban communities tend to not curl as much than some rural communities or suburban communities. So uh, they're, they're certainly making an effort. Yeah, the people who... Uh, yeah, communities who just traditionally have not curled, they're making an effort. So hopefully, you know, those efforts pay off by by really having these programs for kids. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so my next one on the, my worst list is slow play. Uh, I think this feeds into hurting curling clubs that people play really slowly, and one of the problems I think is as there's more and more curling on television. People will see, you know, the skips. You know, Kevin Cooey is slow. Mm -hmm. All right. Kevin Cooey is really, really good. But Kevin Cooey is slow. Jennifer Jones is slow uh, when they play. Yep. Right. So these are the these are the people who the club players will model themselves after. They're not modeling themselves after Ben Hebert, who takes a quarter of a second 
yep. to throw. Right. The reason Kevin Cooey has as much time as he has is because Ben Hebert is so good at like, he's ready to throw before the other rock, the other team's rock is stopped, and he throws. Sometimes it looks like before Cooey puts the yeah. broom down because he just knows what the call is going to be. We need more people to model themselves on those players, right? You know, if you're the lead, you can't have a Jennifer Jones-esque pre-shot routine. And it's really, it just is problematic, the slow play. Uh, And we've seen it too on TV as teams are increasingly running out of time and having to rush at the end of the game. So just a a more concerted effort to, to keep a pace of play going. Uh, both at the, the pro level, but certainly at the club level. Certainly at the club level, Sean. Yeah, this is one of our uh, big, big stances, right? The the whole podcast, yes. maybe our motto could be, like, we'll play fast. Because we yeah. hate when we play teams that are really slow. And yeah. part, part of, like, what you say is that the front end speeds things up to give time to the skips at the end of an end, but mostly at the end of a game, yeah. to be able to figure out maybe that little more complicated shot, right? So if you're playing seven ends every week, uh, make a concerted effort to be in the hack and be ready faster so that you can try to play eight ends. That should be your goal. Your goal uh, yeah. at the club level, like winning and losing, you know, it's a crapshoot, right? Whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. You could be great one week and then uh, you could be terrible the next or the other team could be pulling horseshoes out and, who knows but the thing you can control every week as a club player is how fast you play the game no question yeah so if you're going to model your game after somebody pick don McEwen, pick ben heber yeah like pick a pick a front end person on tv and watch them because they they can turn it around really quickly uh so the slow play it's it's getting worse in my opinion so that's my, my number three uh, so let's go back to the best, Scott. What's your next Okay, best? I've got uh, two more left, I think. And, uh, yeah, so okay. do I. So I put on here the rise of teams Anderson and Flurry on uh, on my list of good. And, of course, these teams are very related in the fact that Team Flurry is three-quarters of the old Team Anderson. Uh, yes. And I think that they always looked at their team as a business. And I think that the by splitting their business the way that they did uh, helped both teams to get better. And we're seeing the fruits of that team Anderson last year, more of course uh, had a really hot start and team Flurry this year is, has been playing really, really well. They're near the top of the list in the women's uh, money standings, which I don't think anybody would have guessed at the start of the year. So I, I really liked the way that the decision to split up has worked for both sides of that split yeah and it's good for the fans too right we've seen some great games between them that manitoba final last year where they were played against each other huge comeback there for tracy flurry and the team just a lot of fun when they play each other Uh, and tracy flurry as, as we've said a few times this fall you know she's playing really aggressively scoring a lot of points making a lot of shots and it's been a lot of fun to watch carrie anderson you're right i mean there's no way that anyone could have sustained what they did in the fall of 2018. But if you look at her 2019, just in isolation, it was a very good season or a very good year, and anyone would take it. So a little disappointed, I'm sure, that she lost that playing game at the Scotties to 
Casey Scheidegger, I believe. But overall, uh, a very good season or a very good year for uh, Anderson. So, uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. Right on. What about you? Uh, my number two best of the year was the Briar final between Brendan Boncher and Kevin Cooey. Uh, I thought that was a really good game. It was a lot of fun mm-hmm. to watch. Comes down to sort of a crazy angle. Kevin Cooey shot kind of looked like as it was happening that Darren Molding thought they might have won the game. Um, just one of those things that just a tight game, well played all around, and it comes down to a great shot. I thought that was uh, one of the best games of the year and just a lot of fun to watch. And, and when a big game like that, you know, if that game gets played in the quarterfinals of the Elite Ten, like, who cares? Right. Uh, it, it doesn't matter as much. But, you know, when a game of that magnitude is played at that high a level, it is a treat for everyone. Yeah. You know, it's good for the players. They seem to enjoy it. Great for the fans in the building. Great for the fans on TV. It's just it's just a great, wonderful experience, and uh, I, I loved that for game. For sure, for sure. And I think one of the things you could put on this list now – you can tell me if I'm spoiling your list is the rise of team botcher this year. It really started back in 2018, but, uh, yep. huh. My, my phone just, uh, decided that was a thing that what they wanted to search anyway. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, hey Siri, you wor- don't worry about it. Um, uh, so the rise of team botcher as in general, you know, we've seen them in two straight prior yeah. finals and, we saw them take the loss in stride by saying on social media, you know, we got cooied. Uh, yeah. So the way that they look at the game is really positive, really great. Uh, and, and that game served to showcase both their skills on the ice and off the ice. For sure. So uh, so let's hop back over to the worst list. So what's your next one on the worst side, Scott? All right. I think I only have one more on the on the worst side here. And that's uh, Broomgate 2.0, Sean. Oh, Broomgate yeah. 2.0, where we saw Norway yeah. have to forfeit a game, uh, knock them out of the running for playoffs at Europeans. Uh, it did give England a win. But at the end of the day, yep. I think it created a lot more controversy than than it helped. You know, it, it was worse than what it, the rules intended to be. And it's one of those things that we should have been talking about the play on the ice at Europeans rather than this. Yeah, I, I agree. That's another one I, I forgot about. I didn't have on my list either, but yeah, definitely uh, one of the low points of the, the season and something that we thought we had dealt with uh, sufficiently mm-hmm. with uh, all the new rules and, and the regulations that were put in place. Yeah, that was a tough situation there. Uh, I know win situation for team England, as we talked about at the time, uh, and certainly Norway gets hosed in that deal. So, yeah, it's it's one of those things that you, the rules were put in place with the hope. It's similar to the residency rule, right, where we thought we're done with this now, it's settled, and, and then we have this thing crop up. So, yeah, it wasn't a good look for the WCF and really unfortunate uh, for for everyone involved and certainly the English team. Definitely uh, definitely bad for them too. Yeah, for sure. What's uh, what's next so, in yours? Is this your number one? Uh, so th- this is my number two, but we've already talked about my number one, uh, right. which, of course, is right. the Ali Jenkins uh, passing. So my number two was the situation with Team Kim and the Garlic Girls. And the Garlic Girls. Uh, that continuing situation and uh, the, the report was released about abuse within the Korean Curling Federation and the way they were treated by their coaches 
just really one of these things that there's no place for that uh, anywhere, let alone uh, sport. And that just one of those things that you hate to see, you, you hate to realize that this is happening, uh, especially with that team. I mean, it's, it's ter- terrible to have as anybody, but you know, that team was so much fun at the Olympics. They are, are just, you know, I've, I've been around them once or twice. I think, uh, you know, just a, a, a fun team to be around. Uh, it was a great story at the time of the Olympic games. And, uh, just to know that all that was happening behind the scenes, uh, really was just unfortunate and hopefully that the reforms that were put in place with the Korean Curling Federation pay off and this does not happen again but that situation I, I definitely have to put on the worst of the year absolutely absolutely I forgot about that one myself but uh, now now that you're reminding me uh, of course slam dunk to be on the worst of the year and hopefully as you say this this team will be able to get back on the ice and back focusing on uh, the right things, uh, and and we get to see them again on the ice, uh, displaying their fantastic talent. Yeah. So uh, so since Scott, we covered my worst thing of the year already. I only have a best thing left. As do you. Ah, that's the way it should end, right? Yeah, we'll end on a positive. So, what is your best thing from the world of curling in 2019? Well, as I said, I, I didn't really rank them, but uh, one thing I'm going to give Curling Canada some kudos for uh, earlier this fall announcing that they have created the role of high-performance consultant for teams competing at national and international competitions. What this is aiming to do is to avoid losing top curling talent like Wayne Mada and Glenn Howard to other countries to be their coaches. So in Canada, you have to get certified as a coach, and it's quite a lot of work to do. But at, at the same time, you look at guys who have won multiple world championships and you say, do they really have to spend their weekend in the curling club in, you know, some town in northern Ontario in order to be able to be a coach at that level? Probably not. Right. So by, by doing this, Canada is hoping to keep those kinds of those kinds of big time players with big time knowledge in Canada able to help not only established teams, but also younger teams that are up and coming without having to go through sort of the process and jump through the hoops of getting their official certification. Yeah. And one of the things too, that they did that Curling Canada did in this process, which I think was really smart too, is, you know, one of the reasons that you want people to take coaching courses is learning how to deal with the situations that, things that would prevent what happened to the garlic girls, right? right? Like those those abuse, potential abusive situations or, or where there's situations where people could be at risk of something, right? Or, or even or recognizing abuse that is happening to players from outside sources, like those sorts of things that, you know, if you're a coach, you have a position of power over mm-hmm. somebody and, you know, obviously you don't want anybody to abuse it. So within this position, you still have to take the courses that are for that right so understanding those dynamics so you don't have to take the how do you throw a curling rock course Mm -hmm. if you're a high performance strategy but there yeah but there is still the protections uh that are in place for to protect the players which is exactly I, i think it was a really nice compromise that curling canada came to there that you know you don't want to say you don't need to do anything because you're a high performance player uh but here's 
you know, we don't need to take your time with the strategy, technique, all that kind of stuff, but let's make sure that everyone's on the same page in terms of what is acceptable in these situations. And here are the resources that are in place in case something is happening. Yeah, so uh, according to this article I'm reading, uh, they are still required to take the safe sport course and you make ethical decisions, uh, which can be done online, so less of a time commitment, as well as they'll all undergo a police background check. So yeah, uh, it's a really important, those things. So those, sure. those, those are really important, but hopefully what this does is give, give sort of those all time great players, uh, a way to be able to help teams here in Canada, uh, yep. without having to go uh, outside the country. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's a really good choice there, Scott. Uh, so I'm going to go in a different direction though, with my best thing of the year. Uh, and I ranked this number one, uh, because I could just watch it on a loop over and over again. <laughs> the Hasselberg Terenzoni World Championship Final. That game was the absolute pinnacle of the sport. That that's what you want a curling game to be. That you know, I know we talked about it at the time and it's come up a bunch of times since, but that was by far the game of the year, not only in the stakes that were involved, but the execution on both sides. Uh you know, Hasselberg played great. Alina Patz was out of her mind yeah. uh, playing great there. Savannah turns only missed. I remember she, I think she flashed a, a peel in one end, and that's the only miss that I can remember in the game. I, I know there were others. Just logically, I know there had to be others, but that was just such a great game. And you know, if you, it's the sort of thing that if you want to get new people into the sport by watching a game, that's the game I would show them. Yeah, absolutely, Sean. And I, I think it's actually available on World Curling's uh, YouTube site. So, so if you, you want to go and, and watch the, the finals, you can you can do it on a loop. There you go. So uh, so that was my number one of the year. So that was my best. So uh, so let's just run down our, our things here, Scott. Uh, so for me, my worst, I ranked them. You did not, but I, I ranked them. Uh, number five worst, World Cup going away. Number four, the mixed doubles reducing the field for the world championship. Number three, slow play. Number two, the garlic girls situation. And, of course, the worst thing of the year was the Allie Jenkins tragedy. And, Scott, your worst of the year was uh, Chelsea Carey on Twitter getting harassed during the world championships. The have and the have-nots, the sort of squeezing of the middle class, Broomgate 2.0, and, of course, uh, Ali Jenkins as well. Yes, and I also had the mixed doubles field on my list for the the positive oh, yes, side. Uh, I'll run down mine here, and that was uh, uh, pay equity, uh, the residency rule, Canada winning uh, at the World Cup. I did check they lost the mixed doubles final to Norway in the grand final, but uh, next would be the rise of teams Anderson and Flurry. And last but not least, uh, Curling Canada creating the the position of high-performance consultant. Nice. And uh, for me, I had number five, the Losers episode with Pat Ryan. Number four, Eve Muirhead. Just Eve Muirhead. 
that's it. Just, uh, number three, Nigerian curling. Number two, the Briar final between Botcher and Kui. Number one, the Hasselberg Tiranzoni Women's World Championship final. And as a bonus, number six thing, Scott, on the best fantasy curling. Fantasy curling. Came into our lives in 2019. Yeah, you're right. I guess it did. I sort of thought it was uh, back in 2018, but no, it was the last couple events. Yeah. So, yeah, so, right uh, on. So the, yeah. Yeah, so a uh, shout out there to Scott Chu and uh, Fantasy Curling is one of the best of the year. So that uh, that's it, Scott. 2019 is over. Cool. <laughs> um, so uh, so that's it. Let us know what you think the best and the worst of 2019 was in the world of curling. And uh, we'll be back, though, even though 2019 is over. We have one episode left, Scott. Mm-hmm. For 2019, Sorry. we're going to do... Oh. oh are curling new year's resolutions yes looking so looking forward to what it. we're going to try to change and improve upon for 2020 so we'll be back with you uh, next week with that episode uh, but in the meantime for those who are celebrating merry christmas for those who are celebrating happy hanukkah and uh, everyone else have a healthy and a happy whatever it is you're doing yeah that's the way to do it and uh, if you're traveling, of course, be safe out there. Uh, and if you're enjoying the festivities, please do so responsibly, especially if you're driving. Agreed. But in general, you should do it responsibly. Yep, you're right, Sean. <laughs> okay, so if you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Give us the likes, ratings, all that good stuff. Uh, keeps the show going, helps other people find us. And you can find us as well on social media at Game of Stones Pod for Instagram and Twitter. Scott's on those things at Scott Likes TV. And I'm on Twitter at Dr. Shawnee Fever. And as always, you can email the show at Game of Stones Podcast at gmail.com. So we'll be back with you next week for some curling resolutions as we look forward to 2020. But in the meantime, keep your brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final...